0: So today I'm offering you a bog off passage Yes, that sounds rather vaguely rude, doesn't it? But well, I didn't mean it to be, just how it came out. It's a buy one, get one free uh, passage from the Bible. Last week, Simon was complaining that the conversation in the passage he had was only two or three sentences long. But today we have had two conversations with Jesus for the price of one. The first being the rich young ruler and the second one being with the disciples. So we've got a double blessing today of conversations to look look at. Now the man is called rich in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, but Matthew describes him as young and Luke describes him as a ruler, as in a sort of court official of some sort. Um, A man of substance who was doing okay for himself. A rich man in uh, in all the gospel accounts. Now I don't know about you, but we weren't very rich when I was little, not at all. I got thruppence, three old pennies a week, pocket money, um, and I used to argue with myself as to what to spend it on, but it wasn't a lot, I can tell you. Uh, Back in uh, when I was a child, we lived in a Tied house a house that went with my dad's job he was a land agent on the country estate of a uh, lord newborough out in the countryside in north wales and we did not have a lot of money there were four of us kids and i don't think any of us ever had any new clothes you you get the uh, picture mine were from the sailing club jumble sale so mine always had someone else's name tag in them so not a rich family, and we weren't really church goers either. Uh, but on occasion, my mum used to drag us four kids down to the local village, to the church there, and uh, we would sit bored out of our heads through the service I'm afraid to own up to Um, but um, there were definitely some times when she took us to the Sunday school and I can't actually remember whether uh, the Sunday school was um, at the same time as the church service or whether it was at a different time but I do remember sitting in a very cold hall on those low wooden uh, school folding benches do you know the sort that had sort of trestle legs that went underneath and we used to learn things off by heart and one of the things we learned of by heart was the 10 commandments in the old King James version and I can still sort of remember them uh, even now um, not brilliantly so I've just got them in front of me to check but it's something like I am the Lord thy God who brought thee out of the land of Egypt thou shall have no other gods but me Thou shalt not make unto thyself any graven image, nor the likeness of any thing that is in the heaven above or the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. And thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, etc, etc. Are you impressed? Well, I'm not because I had to keep checking. Well, the rich young ruler, he obviously knew his commandments too. And he was obviously really assiduous in keeping the law. But there's still this one question in his mind. Am I doing enough to be saved? So he checks in with Jesus, who he recognises as a good teacher. And this is not just an idle conversation. He really wants to know. He runs up to Jesus Now, that wasn't the done thing for someone of status, by the way, to go charging up to someone. And when he gets there, he falls on his knees. And in the message version, it's translated as he greeted Jesus with reverence. And good teacher, he says, what must I do to um, inherit eternal life? But he does not get the answer he wants nor expects. He's expecting more rules to keep, more stuff to do. He knows his commandments. He keeps them religiously, but he's totally missing the point. He knows an awful lot about the law, but he is spiritually blind. Now, the Old Testament Jewish view was that wealth was a total sign of God's pleasure. So if you were rich, you must be in right standing with God because you must be doing the right things and you must be living under his blessing. But Jesus turns this view on its head and he tells the young man something that was ever so easy but actually was in fact very hard to do. Hence so hard he couldn't do it. The rich man wants eternal life on his terms but Jesus points to God as the source of all goodness and therefore of eternal life and he tells the young man, To sell all he has and to give it to the poor. Now, I was thinking, what could be uh, the equivalent for us? Um, And in modern terms, maybe um, our excessive consumption uh, deprives the poor of the resources they need just to survive we uh, we look we hear of deforestation to satisfy our demand for meat or for the making um, it possible to mono species planting like palm oil palms or overfishing or hunting to satisfy our need for certain foods and these causing species extinctions and what about our plastic society of instantness or convenience causing untold ecological damage, causing resultant climate change, which has hit the underdeveloped world with excessive heat and drought and storms and floods and made those who are already poor even poorer and some starving, homeless and such like. So maybe um, in modern times that is how we are impacting on the poor by our hoarding of wealth and expectation of a good standard of living. Our lifestyles are causing suffering for people who we may and probably will never meet. But I hope we are all aware that being rich in, in and of itself is not a barrier to being saved. That wasn't so for the young man. It's our attitude to our wealth that can be the problem. And it was for that rich young man. Now, as far as we know from the account, he could not do what Jesus told him. And he goes away sad. The message version says he walked off with a heavy heart because he was holding tight onto a lot of things. And he was not about to let go. Now, as ever, our lovely disciples, well, they don't get it, do they? They're as spiritually blind as the rich young man at this point. And that's when we get the famous camel through the eye of the needle saying from Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I always thought that saying referred to a kind of a tiny gate in the, wall of the uh, walls of the city of Jerusalem, which was too small for a, a camel to go through. But hmm, not so, said my study Bible. Apparently, there was never any such gate. And Jesus was simply um, using the example of the biggest animal that they knew of in the Middle East and the tiniest aperture, which was the camel and the eye of the needle. And so maybe uh, an equivalent for us might be um, uh, something like, Uh, It will be harder for an elephant to go through a cat flap uh, than for uh, someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So maybe that's as ridiculous and extreme uh, an example as Jesus was making. But then in the passage comes this marvellous promise from Jesus to his disciples and in fact to all of us. Everything is possible with God, everything is possible with God, even if we were to leave behind everything we think is of value in order to follow God, we are promised a wonderful reward in this life and in the kingdom to come, even more so. Now mark also as is adds in persecution to this bundle of good things in the promise. the reward bundle, so it's not all easy. But we are given this marvellous promise. So our second conversation, the one between Jesus and the disciples, ends with him overturning the world's view of status. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And that's a warning against pride in our accomplishments and putting our trust into material things. Well, thankfully by taking a short pause there, my neighbour seems to have stopped with the power tools that he was playing with in his back garden, hopefully not to resume. So we've had a look at the passage. Now, I wonder what specific learning points we can take away with us from these two conversations with Jesus. And I'm going to offer us actually four points. Um, Not all of them terribly lengthy, but maybe one of them is the one for you to go away and think about. So don't feel you've got to take on board all four of the points I offer here. Um, They are these. Firstly, the need for self-knowledge. Secondly, the deep love that Jesus has for sinners. Thirdly, the danger of the love of money. And fourthly, that glorious promise I mentioned just now. So let's look at first of the need for self-knowledge as against self-ignorance. And this is verses 17 to 20 from our passage. Now, the rich young ruler was showing all the right attitudes up to this point. He came running up to Jesus, he showed reverence towards him, he knew the commandments and he self-righteously declares that he's really good at keeping them. But the deeper application of those commandments has utterly passed him by. He's no idea that keeping these commandments is so much more than just paying lip service to them. He does that because he says, I don't do any murder, I don't commit adultery, uh, and so forth. But he has no idea of his sinfulness before God. He is spiritually blind. Now, how many of us fall into the same trap as this young man? We could think that we lead pretty good, law-abiding lives, that we've never done anything especially wrong, And so we must be in right standing before God. But we often forget and we don't remember that he is a holy God. We forget how often we can sin in our imagination, in our attitudes, in our thoughts, even if our outward behaviour all looks good. Now Matthew chapter 5 recounts Jesus' teaching on murder, on adultery, on revenge, on keeping our word and showing our love for our enemies. And I really encourage you maybe to take some time, if this point that I'm making is for you, take some time to read Matthew chapter 5. And ask God to show you, show us as we read, where we might be living in spiritual ignorance and self-satisfaction. So let's beware this complacent state of mind and ask the Holy Spirit to convince us of our sin, to show us our own hearts and to reveal God's holiness. And when we do this, we will realise our deep need of Christ and his forgiveness in our lives. So the first point is, To ask God to open our eyes and show us where, where, or if we are spiritually blind. Now, in the second point, verse 21 shows us Jesus' deep love for sinners. It says, Jesus looked at the rich young man and he loved him. This love is full of pity and of compassion. Jesus can see beyond the surface and he knows that this is a soul that is ill at ease and wanting relief. He looks with tender concern on the young man and he looks with the same compassion and concern on us. It doesn't matter how far we think we've fallen. It doesn't matter how far away from God's forgiveness we might think that we are. It doesn't matter how deeply ashamed we feel. Jesus sees us. He looked at the man. He saw right through him. And he does the same for us. Now there's a phrase, isn't there, in the modern idiom, which is, goes... I see you. And in the Urban Dictionary, that's given the definition as what somebody says to you when they really understand where you're coming from. It means, I know you. I'm fully aware of you. I'm present for you. Jesus sees us. He knows us. He's fully aware of us, he's present for us, and he looks on us with love. We are his sheep, given to him by God to care for. More than that, we are told in the Bible we are his bride, his beloved, joined to him by an everlasting covenant and as dear to him as part of himself. And he weeps over us. Salvation is ready for even the worst of us if we will only come to him. If any are lost, it isn't because Jesus Jesus doesn't want uh, to save them or he doesn't love them. He has a big, wide open heart and it is open to all. Never forget that. And never forget to tell others about that. So Jesus has a deep abiding love for sinners, including you and me. Thirdly, and much more briefly, the immense danger of the love of money, uh, verses 22 to 26. And remember, it's not so much the having of money, it's putting our trust in it and our material Possessions, that's the problem, and can cause our ruin. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.11, I have learnt to be content, whatever the circumstances," and so should we. So the danger of the love of money. And finally, fourth point, there's Jesus' glorious promise. Verses 27 to 31. Now, I don't actually think... There's a stronger promise in the whole of the New Testament for this life, the life that there now is for this present age. Any of us who are feeling fearful or anxious or suffering or enduring hardness or sickness can take deep comfort from this promise of a reward in the here and now. What do I mean by this? Well... If we're lacking in blood relatives, if we're lonely and on our own, we have our church family. Our relationship with fellow Christians can actually be deeper and closer and more spiritually meaningful than with those uh, with whom we have blood ties. And if we're lacking in material comforts, then God promises us that those who live out their lives in service Him will always have enough somehow. It's not about what we get from following Jesus, it's about what we can give. And of course things won't always be easy, we just look around us to see the truth of that. There will be difficulties, there will be persecution even, but when we feel faint-hearted, we can reread this passage and take courage. In Psalm 30, verse 5, it says, Weep, Weeping may stay for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Through the sharing of persecution, Christian relationships can deepen and flourish. And if we feel that we are worth little or nothing, then we can take heart from Jesus' promise in the kingdom to come. The first will be last, and the last will be first, that human values will be reversed. Nothing, literally nothing, is impossible for God. No one, literally no one, is too far from his love. Everyone, literally everyone, can receive the grace and mercy of God if we'll only set aside these transient earthly things that get in the way and humbly fall on our knees in his holy presence. So I'm going to give us a time uh, to respond now. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we'll listen to a song uh, or join in if you prefer just to remind us of God's wonderful saving grace for each one of us. So the four points you might want to consider one or more of as we respond now are firstly, asking God to open our eyes to our sinfulness, remembering the deep love that Jesus has for sinners, the danger of the love for money, and the marvellous promise of Jesus for this life and the life to come. But let's pray before we have the song. Thank you for saving me. Father God, we thank you that Jesus is someone who loves us, who sees us, who knows us. He knows the deepest thoughts of our hearts and he knows all that we struggle with. And I pray now that as we listen to this song, and go away and reflect later, that we will open our eyes to our own self-sinfulness in light of your holiness. That we will turn aside from the things that block us and stop us from coming to you. And that we will hold on to your glorious promise in this life and the life to come. Amen. Let's listen to the song now.